Hey everyone, welcome to the Land of Hope podcast. Come with us this week as we plant our feet in the Land of Hope. Hey Hope community, I am so excited to welcome you to week one of Rooted Summer. That's right, you should have been reading John 1 through 7 this week in the translation of your choice or listening to it. That's cool too. And so um, I was reading John 1 through 7 this week and just looking for, you know, what's going to stick out, what is kind of pulling me toward deeper study. And it is really, really rich. So I haven't even been able to read a chapter a day. I'm kind of having to like split it up and split it up throughout the day because so many of the sections are so rich. So Imagine my surprise (laughs) when I came upon this passage and felt like it was the passage we were supposed to be in, um, in chapters one through seven. Now, mind you, we have three more times, I almost went like this, three more times to go through chapters one through seven um, this summer. So we might see these chapters again, but for this time through, the passage we're going to be in today is John 3, 16 through 21. I'm reading out of the New International Version for this time through the book of John. Um, Next, I'm either going to use the message or the passion translation, Um, but this week I'm in New International Version. So John 3.16, it is a scripture that many of us know. In fact, if you have no Bible background um, at all, you still might find this verse familiar. But we're going to kind of dig in and break down this whole passage about why God sent Jesus to us in John. So let's get started. All right, let's look at verse 16. And you can say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Now, I think the, one of the most important things to note here is that God's motivation is love, but it says that he loved the world. And I love that in this verse because it takes me back to Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 where God is creating the earth and everything in it, and he keeps calling it good. He keeps saying, and it is good, and it is good. He makes man and woman, and he says, and it is very good. So when we talk about God so loving the world, we're not saying God is loving particular people or God is loving people that obey him. We're saying that his love for this world that he has created and everything in it it's global. His love here that, that impel, uh, compels him to send Jesus is not exclusive in scope. His love is all-inclusive. He so loved the world. And I think this would probably feel foreign to the to Jewish hearers of this because they're used to being, you know, God's chosen people and um, other people are kind of known as being outside God's covenant, right? But what John is saying is that God so loved the world. In uh, Colossians 1.20, 
It says that Jesus is reconciling all things to himself. And so when we think of God's love for the world, it's not just meant to be particular, like he loves white tigers and he hates mosquitoes. (laughs) Don't ask me why those two things came to mind. (laughs) But what it's saying is that just like when God created the world at the beginning of time, his impetus for sending Jesus is his love, is his seeing and um, caring for the whole earth, reconciling all things to himself. So it says, he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now, I love the word here, whoever, because again, we cannot escape this here, that this is global and unbiased in scope, that whoever believes in him, again, radical, not just the Jews who've grown up looking for Messiah, but that there's kind of this undiscerning, unbiased, open invitation to believe in God's son here that would have felt Um, strange (laughs) to the people that Jesus came to. Whoever believes. Think about the story that Jesus tells about someone who is throwing a banquet and he invites all sorts of honored guests and they don't come. So he says to his servants, go out to the highways and the byways and whoever you find invite them to the feast, and they can sit at the table. And that is what is being described here. Whoever believes, the whole world, this is an open invitation out on the highways and byways, whoever you come across, come and sit at God's table. And then it says that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So believe in him. What does that mean? What does believe mean? Believing as in you know that it happened. Believing as in you say, yes, I believe that Jesus died. Or or what what is it exactly when we say belief? Because in James 2.19, the author says, you believe there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that. So what it's saying is that belief is not just knowing or agreeing that it happened, agreeing that it's true. So then what is belief when it says that whoever believes in him will have eternal life? What is belief? Well, I have a few ideas, but I don't think this list is exhaustive. So you can come up with some of your own. You can even leave them in the comments if you want. But believing equals standing on. So um, uh, take stand on and put it in for believing that whoever stands on Jesus, it is what is left when all else falls. So if you had to lose everything, you'd say, I will never lose Jesus. He will be the ground beneath my feet no matter what. If everything else in my world falls apart, if everything gets shaken down, I will stand on Jesus. That's belief. Putting your feet on the foundation of your world 
is Jesus. That's belief, okay? So believing is standing on or foundational, okay? Another one for uh, believing, another way of saying it might be trusting that whoever trusts in him will have eternal life. But it's not just trusting who he is, but trusting that what he says is true. I once heard someone say it like this. It's not believing in him, but believing him. Which means that belief is not just saying, I believe you are the son of God. I believe you died for my sins, but rather like, I believe that what you say is what is true. So I believe what you believe, Jesus. I mean, how does that change our world when we say, Jesus, I believe what you believe? Believing what he says. Steve Shell says that this conversation that Jesus is having here, he's having with Nicodemus, this Pharisee, who all his life has kind of been trying to earn salvation as a reward for his works. And Jesus explained here that salvation is given as a gift to those who have faith in him, which means they place all their hope for eternal life in his death and resurrection and then sincerely follow him as a disciple. So that's another way of saying it, that they are putting all of their hope in what he's done. A couple times since I've read this passage and have been chewing on it, I've thought about the ways that I don't measure up or thought about doubts that I have or things that confuse me. And this passage is such a beautiful picture for us because when I get confused or when I am filled with doubt or when I am just not sure about things, I can picture myself casting myself, throwing myself like on the cross of Christ, like on what he's done, on him. And if you can just imagine throwing yourself into his arms and going limp and hanging there and being like, all I have is being held by you. That's the kind of belief they're talking about here. We're talking about here is this throwing yourself totally on the mercy, all of my weight on the mercy of Jesus. So in verse 17, he goes on and says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And I think this is really important specifically, you know, as Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, this Pharisee in this passage, but he says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. And I think that's really important that we don't get that twisted. That God's first word to us when he approaches us is not no. God's first word to us is not to condemn. God's first word to us is yes. Yes, I love you. And I think sometimes the perception people have of Christians and the, sometimes the way that Christians act is they can look at their world and say, nope, 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 nope. To people, to the way they behave, to whatever else, it's not wrong to be discerning. It's not wrong to look at something and say, that's not life-giving or that's not the way that God would have things. But what this passage says 
is that the first order of God's business in the world is to send his love. And that Jesus' coming was not in order to condemn, but was in order to save and to rescue. So God's first word to us is, yes, I love you. That's the first order of business. And so should we have our first order of business. God isn't coming down to smite disobedient people. And it's not to show why he has good reason for being disappointed in us. God's first reason for coming into the world is to rescue and redeem and save. God, uh, sorry, Jesus was sent to save, rescue, redeem. And I love this picture that's in the Psalms. It says like, you've snatched my feet out of the net. And I think of, you know, someone getting caught or like you can imagine, you know, like Lord of the Rings getting caught in a spider's web or something like that. And this idea that like Jesus comes to snatch us out of the hand of the enemy, to take our feet out of the net, to give us freedom, really. And again, it says here that his order of business was to save the world. So his sacrifice, Jesus' sacrifice, is global, and it's also un like until the end of time. So it is universal in its scope and in its time. No one falls outside the circle of his grace. Everyone is included, beginning of time to end of time. No matter who you are or what your background, God's grace, Jesus's work on the cross is for you. Verse 18 says, whoever believes in Jesus, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. And so it goes both ways, just as whoever believes is saved, so whoever doesn't believe is guilty. So what we see is that just as God's grace is global and unbiased in scope, available to all, so our condemnation and our sin is global and unbiased in scope. There is not one person alive who is not entrenched in their sinful nature. So his grace is global as our sin is global. And those are the two truths about every person who's ever lived are, are the presence of our sin and the availability of God's grace to us through belief in Christ. And it says, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son, people will be condemned on that basis. There's something about the name of Jesus. There's something about God's name that really gets people's feathers in a bunch. It's very important, the name of Jesus. Jesus, as the only name, is the reason Stephen was martyred in Acts and the church was scattered, as we talked about the last couple of weeks. It all hinged around 
this name being the name that people were healing in, that people were preaching about. His name and his name as the only name is of supreme importance. And there is no way to get around his name as the one and only way to salvation in God's kingdom. He is the name above every name, not a name among names. He, he, Jesus is king over all. And so what uh, the author is saying here is that if you don't believe in this one name, you're basically, you're worshiping an idol because this name is the one true name. And everything else is not among him, but below him and subject to him. So what we believe in needs to be this specific. This is what scripture is telling us, that the name of Jesus is so important. And verse 19 says, so this is the verdict. Light has come into the world but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Man, John makes it real simple here. <laughs> okay, the verdict, the decision, the base level ground floor issue is this. People loved darkness instead of the light. People wanted to, want to do what they want to do. And this is important because it doesn't say that some people were ignorant and that's why you know they didn't say yes to Jesus. The problem wasn't ignorance. The problem is that people don't want to bend their knee to Jesus. The issue when boiled down is this, that people love darkness instead of the light, capital L, as in referring to Jesus himself, referring to his way, his leadership, his sacrifice, and it's not ignorance, fear, or wrong teaching. It's that some people in their hearts choose to continue on their own way because that is what they would prefer rather than to cast themselves on the name of Jesus, all their sin in hand. Let's unpack this. It says, everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. Of course, if someone wants to do evil, they want it to be hidden, right? They don't want it to be caught. So that's like the base level reading of the scripture. If you are doing something evil, you don't want it to come into light. You don't want it to get caught. You don't want it to be exposed. But this means more than that. When we do evil, we can do a couple of things. And evil here means like bad, worthless, or repulsive things. So worthless things fit into this description as well. Stuff that's a waste of time or not important or whatever, okay? So bad, worthless, repulsive. So when we do evil, we can do a couple things. One, we can hide it, which is like the quick reading of the scripture, right? I do something wrong. I want to hide it. I don't want to tell anyone. I want to keep it a secret. I keep stuffing it down, act like it doesn't exist, right? Hope I don't get caught. So we can hide it. Or two... And this happens so much in human existence. When we do evil, we can try to convince ourselves 
and others that it's not really bad, worthless, or repulsive. So bringing something into the light rather than darkness doesn't just mean that something is out in the open or public. It doesn't mean, well, it was hidden and now everyone knows I've confessed. That's not the only understanding of this scripture. Bringing something into the light doesn't mean that something is out in the open or public. It means it comes into the light of who Christ is and his righteousness. It means it is shown to be what it really is in light of his holiness, the holiness of God. So not just public, but exposed, that the light of his truth shines down upon it and it is shown for what it really is. Imagine his holiness, Jesus's truth and righteousness and grace as a beam of light coming into a dark room. So you're in a dark room and from above, you know, I picture it at an angle, there's this beam of light coming down and that is his truth, his holiness, his righteousness, his grace, his mercy. Will we bring all that we are, the things that we have pride about, the things that we see as wins and all of our sins and losses and everything else, will we bring the light of all that we are, sorry, bring all that we are into the light of who he is to be judged by him? In verse 21, it says, but whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Whoever is honest about who they are and their condition comes into the light of his holiness, his righteousness, so that who they are and what they've done can be seen plainly, truly in the sight of God for what it really is. That is choosing the light. It's not saying everything I've ever done wrong, I've now made public. It's saying everything I've ever done, period, all that I am comes into the light of Christ and I allow him to illuminate, to judge it, to show me what's really here, to be seen by him. That person's actions, good and bad, their choices, their wins, their shortcomings, in the light of Christ, they are shown. And here's the other thing that they're shown. When we bring all that we are into the light of Christ rather than keeping it in the dark, darkness and saying, this is good. What I'm doing, it's good. I'm good. I'm great. When we bring all that we are into the light of his holiness and his truth and righteousness to be judged by him, that is also where we are shown compassion. That is also where we are shown his grace. And that is the thing about bringing things into his light, about casting all that we are, 
onto him, the full weight of all that we are onto him is that that is the place we are held by him. That is the place we are comforted by him. That's the place we are shown grace and forgiveness and his loving kindness. That's why everyone who stays in the darkness is condemned because they've never like exposed themselves enough to this light, to this holiness, to this righteousness and truth in which Jesus is and operates to experience God's grace and compassion, his comfort, his holding of all of these things. And this is what I love about Jesus, God loving the world so much that he would give his one and only son, is that this is the place we don't just bring the good things and we don't just bring the bad things. We get to bring all that we are simultaneously into the light of Christ. And when we bring our whole selves into the light of Christ, we will not be condemned. This is where eternal life is found. This is where communion with Jesus is found. This is where we know him and hear his voice. That light, though frightening, is the still water that he wants to lead us beside. Because in that place, all of our confidence is in him and what he's done. And we don't have to have any confidence in ourselves and what we've done. Today, as we get ready to go into worship, I would like you to, if you can, close your eyes where you are right now and picture yourself in a room, picture a beam of light coming down. And that light is the holiness, the righteousness, the truth, and the judgment of the only one who is fit to judge. And if you're willing, would you picture yourself putting your hands out and stepping into that light, putting your hands full of all that you are, all that you've done, good and bad, into that light? And would you bring yourself into his righteousness. And as you're there in that light, do you notice the warmth of his love, his compassion, his kindness that not a single person would perish, but that all would come into this light of his, that all would be invited to cast all that we are onto him and what he's done. 
Hi, thanks for tuning in today. I'm Paul, one of the producers of the Land of Hope podcast. If anything that you heard moved you or touched you in any way, we'd love to hear about it. So please head on over to discoverhope.org connect and connect with us. And if you'd like to support the podcast or even sponsor the podcast, just head on over to discoverhope.org giving. Thanks.